How much do you know about pregnancy and alcohol? The reality may surprise you. Alcohol exposure while in the womb may cause fetal alcohol spectrum disorder in unborn children. It may lead to lifelong physical and or neurodevelopmental impairments such as problems with memory, attention, cause and effect reasoning, and difficulties in adapting to situations. For such an impactful disorder, it is rarely spoken about in the popular media. This podcast will take you behind the scenes to chat with the people who understand FASD. This is Pregnancy and Alcohol, The Surprising Reality. Welcome, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to our little podcast. My name is Kurt Lewis, your friendly neighbourhood podcaster, and today we're going to do something a little different. Last week, I interviewed Jessica, and we discussed her relatively recent FASD diagnosis. This week, I'm sitting down to chat with Jessica's wonderful mother, Sue. How's it going, Sue? Oh, good. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Do you listen to podcasts? Is this this kind of the podcast you'd listen to? I do on occasion listen to podcasts. What I listen to depends on really the flow that I'm in at the time. Mostly I listen to subjects around healing, psychology, spirituality, you know, Brene Brown, Glennon Doyle, Deepak Chopra, you know, Elizabeth Gilbert, those sorts of things. Oh, that sounds interesting. I'm not really into the spiritual kind of ones. I'm more the, I guess I'm more the, like, the audio stories kind of ones. True crime. True I know crime, that Jessica yeah, really likes true crime. <laughs> I think everyone, they're really popular, those kinds of podcasts. Mm. Well, getting down to the nuts and bolts of things, what was it like for Jessica before she was diagnosed with FASD? Was it difficult to help her without knowing the reason why she was having trouble? Well, yeah, <laughs> that's a big question. Some of Jessica's struggles and behaviours have changed or lessened over time and others have gotten worse. And this is something that's needed some compassion, understanding and acceptance. It's been a difficult road and there have been many frustrations and disappointments as well as epiphanies over the years. So what was it like for Jessica? Well, in a nutshell, it was deeply confusing, painfully frustrating and profoundly sad. I did everything I could to help smooth the struggles she had mostly in an effort to protect our family's mental health and functioning, but there was suffering. There are things that were always difficult for Jessica, such as sleep, sensory issues, working memory, executive functioning, emotional regulation, as well as physical issues, such as her body's difficulty with retaining iron and a lifelong battle with tachycardia, as well as many other things. Jessica can have, let's say, interesting behavior around food, clothing and how things should be she can have quite rigid and literal thinking and react in a way that could be described as difficult or odd or sometimes aggressive when around bright lights and loud noises she could often blow up after school if not able to have time to zone out i began seeing a pattern and adapted to do things the way that she needed them the path of least resistance with fasd you learn to pick your battles i explained the behavior with what i knew She was too tired, so she was given downtime. She was a picky eater, so food was served how she liked it. She didn't like bright lights, so dimmer switches were installed or light bulbs changed. She was painfully slow to get ready in the morning, so we started her wake routine earlier. When she was a teenager, I gave her the room with the ensuite, which was much easier than fighting to hurry her up in the morning. As she grew older and expectations increased, it became increasingly obvious that there was more to it than just quirks. Possibly the most painful thing to witness was Jessica's struggle to make and maintain friendship. Despite being a loving and thoughtful friend and trying very hard, 
She always felt lonely outside looking in and was left out of most of the activities of her peers. They went to parties. She did not. I cannot express how sad it was to see my kind, thoughtful, loving child suffer so much in this regard. The path was definitely not always smooth, and we did have our blow-ups. In particular, attempting to teach or explain something to Jessica when she was a teenager was particularly fraught. In hindsight, she was too often overloaded, and if she couldn't understand what I was saying, she would become incredibly agitated and upset and lash out verbally. Tensions would rise the more unreasonable I felt she became, and I learned the hard way that one cannot help emotionally regulate someone when unregulated oneself. We would both be so exasperated. I would explain something three ways and not knowing how else I could teach her, it would often end in tears and or with me doing the task for her. Despite these difficulties, she really was a good girl. Helpful, kind, loving, and always wanting to do her best. And of course, this was a double-edged sword as it was a great source of disappointment to her that she almost always fell short of her own expectations. She so much wanted to just hang out with friends and always was a people pleaser. So I was lucky that she wasn't led astray with drugs, alcohol, or sex during that time, as can often happen with individuals with FASD, desperate to fit in. I was told she would grow out of her quirks. The older she got, the more apparent it was that sleep, food, and executive functioning was a problem. Not that I knew what executive functioning was, but she almost always needed my help to help her get going with what she was trying to achieve and also to determine when she had done enough. It looked like anxiety. This could sometimes be subtle and often just looked as the regular kind of support people who love each other give each other. Jessica struggled to remember and to do her homework, couldn't complete exams, couldn't retain multiple instructions, wasn't able to break down a task to plan and prioritize. She learned in a tactile way and needed much repetition. And what that looks like in the day-to-day -day is that she struggled with starting and stopping. No matter how much desire she had to do the task at hand, she needed help to start and to know the path forward. Into adulthood, this was explained as brain fog, depression, and anxiety. And as she had many physical symptoms that could be attributed to autoimmune issues, that is what we were investigating. By the time she was 27, Jessica was in serious mental and physical health trouble. And by grace, she finally allowed me to step in and take charge of her health care. This was just in the nick of time. I'm not sure she would have been able to last much longer without intervention. It was a profoundly difficult time in all ways. Individuals with FASD live with a number of challenges that are too often simplified and explained to be a parenting problem or a lack of motivation and drive. Medical symptoms were normalized without testing, such as her tachycardia was explained as anxiety, and despite a lifetime of low iron and years of chronic pica, never was there an investigation as to why. In fact, she was ridiculed by more than one specialist for seeking an answer. Many times over the years, when desperately seeking help as an adult, Jessica was told by a medical practitioner to just get on with it and stop procrastinating, as if she had a choice. This was incredibly damaging to her self-esteem and to her mental health. In our case, all of this was explained to be that I did too much for her, that I helped her too much, that she was spoiled, and that I didn't let her do enough on her own. 
and that this is what explained her apparent lack of motivation. But I always knew that she didn't lack motivation. Jessica has always wanted to achieve and achieve big. She just needed help to do so. So it was explained as anxiety and poor discipline, and the onus was put on her to find a way forward. Clearly, that wasn't going to work. Can I just say you're amazing, Sue? Thanks. I mean, yeah, just literally. Just I spoke When I spoke to Jess, she literally refers to you as her second brain. You help her so much. I like to say that I'm her personal assistant. <laughs> <laughs> I'm staff. <laughs> so when did you first suspect that Jessica could have FASD? In November 2015, ABC's Four Corners did an episode on FASD called Hidden Harm. And although Jessica had somewhat different quirks to what was being presented, there was enough for me to know instantly that this is what we were dealing with. I will be forever grateful for the courage of the mothers speaking out in this episode, without which I wouldn't have known the path to follow and may not have been able to save my precious daughter. The next day, I contacted Anne Russell, a birth mother and strong advocate featured in the piece, and our journey finally had a direction and some fuel. What was the process for diagnosis, and how did you feel when your daughter was finally diagnosed? After viewing the Four Corners episode, I knew instantly that FASD was the problem. I had never hidden the fact that alcohol had been consumed in the early stages of my pregnancy. It was actually part of Jessica's birth story that I'd loved her so much when carrying her that somehow we dodged a bullet. I had no idea that my bright, loving, funny, insightful girl could be all those things and still have brain damage. At any time in her life, had she been asked if she was exposed to alcohol in utero, she could have confirmed it. We were never asked. What followed the viewing of that episode was the deepest, darkest time of our lives. For me, it was coming to terms with what I had unknowingly done prior to her birth, and then coming to terms with all that may have been done differently had I known while she grew up. For Jessica, it was equally painful. But for her, it was that I now suspected that the explanation for her difficulties was that there was something wrong with the architecture of her brain and body. When I brought it up to her, she totally refused to accept that FASD was the problem, and she shut me down, let's just say rather forcefully. She then refused to speak of it further. We had many arguments over this, because of course by now Jessica's 29 years old, and she wasn't going to be told that she had brain damage. I had to make sure not to alienate her and somehow had to find a way to negotiate with her to undergo the process of diagnosis. It was an exceptionally difficult time. I was alone to negotiate the magnitude of my part, which I had to do whilst researching all I could so that I could convince Jessica to go ahead with the diagnostic process. This took a year, and over this period, I researched everything I could about FASD and started to build a profile on how FASD presented in Jessica with the corresponding research. I collected sensory and behavior checklists, went through all the symptoms throughout the lifespan and connected them to the appropriate research. And after one year, it was finally complete enough for me to present it to her. I could only get her to agree to go through the folders I had prepared with a healthy bribe and the promise that if she read the folders and disagreed with me, that I would not bring it up again. In less than two hours of reading, the tears flowed and she knew. So now I had her agreement to undertake the diagnostic process, but this was only the first mountain we had to climb. 
The folder I had given her detailed all of her symptoms throughout her life, including my statement of the circumstances surrounding her birth. We then had to get her medical practitioners to help find a path forward through referrals. The initial responses were that they didn't see FASD, that they didn't know where she should go to get a diagnosis because they didn't do that. And in some instances, she was questioned as to why she would even seek such a diagnosis. This was despite the fact that Jessica had been suffering unexplained symptoms all of her life, had a detailed statement from me, and was deeply confused, very isolated, and profoundly ill. Despite this, we persevered. It took three and a half years, an incredible amount of resilience. And in March 2019, Jessica was diagnosed just shy of her 33rd birthday. It was a journey in the end. You got there. You got your diagnosis. Well, we got answers. You know, and no one, no one wants to have a diagnosis of FASD. Oh. But if it means that one has more clarity as to what happens for you, mm. when you know better, you do better. Can I ask you if it's if it's not too personal? Was your pregnancy with your daughter a planned pregnancy? Well, <laughs> Kurt, all these questions are very personal. Yes, yes. <laughs> but as it is with about 50% of pregnancies, mine with Jessica was definitely unplanned. Having a baby was not something I was considering. I was barely surviving myself. I was 16 years old, living unsupported on my own and on the contraceptive pill. In those days, it wasn't so commonly known that one had to take the pill at the same time every day in order for it to be effective. If I forgot in the morning, I'd take it in the evening and thought nothing of it. I'm sure there are plenty of women still now, 35 years later, who don't realize this. I stopped drinking immediately as I found out I was pregnant, but the damage was done. Again, knowledge and guidelines then were not what they are now. And despite the fact that I knew that I had consumed alcohol, I thought that she would be okay because it was still early in the pregnancy. It may also be enlightening to know that in those days, even the medical profession was unaware of the now very clear science. In those days, a woman presenting with preterm labor was often treated with an alcohol drip in hospital, a medical intervention that would permanently alter the growing baby even in the later stages of pregnancy. There is no known safe level or time to consume alcohol in pregnancy, period. Well, that's the message we like to spread. If anyone gets one message from that, it's that one. So that's the one that we all need to, to share far and wide. So here's a big question for you. I ask all my guests this one. Is there more our listeners could be doing as individuals or we could be doing as a whole society to help people with FASD? So what I really want people to understand and acknowledge is that we live in a culture where social drinking is part of the fabric of our daily lives. And if we are to protect our children and our society as a whole, we need to understand the consequences of that and to support women who may be pregnant to negotiate that environment. I want people to understand that there are many reasons why a person may have been exposed to alcohol in utero, and that support and open conversation is how we can secure the best outcomes. It's hard to think of a celebration that doesn't have alcohol as an accepted practice. Births, deaths, marriages, almost all celebrations have alcohol as a part of the festivities. And because of this, FASD is everywhere. One needs to be under no illusions. It's not their problem. It's our problem. Make no mistake about that. 
as is clearly indicated by research. FASD is in all socioeconomic classes, and the damage impacts generations. Now, let me ask listeners this. How many times have we seen a social media post of newlyweds on their baby-making weekend popping a bottle of bubbly? Or witnessed a professional woman celebrating closing a big deal at work with her team being told, just a little one for a toast won't hurt. Perhaps that little one won't give your child a diagnosis of FASD, but how much of your child's attention or sensory integration or memory or processing skills is it worth? Damage may not be at a level that you can measure as a significant, but there is nevertheless damage. I know that this is never far from my thoughts, what Jessica could have achieved had she not had this damage caused to her while she was being formed in my womb. No mother wants to have to carry that. Support for abstinence around pregnancy is the solution. If a woman is not 100% certain of her contraception, then she must be aware of her alcohol consumption. Anything else is playing Russian roulette with your baby. I want people to know that individuals with FASD need support and understanding, and that with that, they can blossom in perhaps unexpected ways where they can express their strengths and mitigate their weaknesses. That often it is not an issue of won't, but can't. And when one frames the difficulties this way, it is much easier to address behaviors without frustration, but with compassion and understanding. We need to change the conversation. I believe many people are not seeking help because of the stigma attached to FASD, too fearful of the shame of admitting alcohol use, even by accident. So I'm talking with you here, as those brave birth mothers did before me, because together we can make a difference for our children, our families, and our country as a whole. FASD is a leading cause of non-genetic disability. It is around two and a half times more common than autism. So let's ask ourselves this. How many people do we know with an autism diagnosis? Now, let me say this. FASD is often misdiagnosed as autism, ADHD, OCD, bipolar disorder, oppositional defiant disorder, anxiety, or depression, because the symptomology overlaps. Having traveled this journey of FASD diagnosis, hindsight reveals the obscure to have been obvious all along. As with all things, the secret is having the key. It took us 30 years to find that key, which brings me to sharing our story with you today. So the fact is clearly this. We all know someone with FASD. It's just whether or not you know it or not. I do. Do you? Thank you so much for sharing that. I want to say that you are so brave for coming on here and and talking with me today. You are so brave. And I hope the people listening to you really take in your words. And yeah, you've just, you just blew me away. Thank you for this opportunity. And thanks for having me on the show. Thank you for listening to this episode of Pregnancy and Alcohol, The Surprising Reality. Please tune in next week for another episode of Our Little Podcast. If you like this podcast episode, then please show your support by leaving a rating and review on iTunes. Every little bit helps. This project is funded by the National Disability Insurance Scheme, NDIS, in collaboration with NoFASD Australia. All rights reserved. For more information about FASD, then please go to www.nofasd.org dot au